When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to another edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recording on Wednesday, December the 4th. Whether you are watching live on Facebook, whether you're watching archives on YouTube, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, however you get the Tech Sideline Podcast, we welcome you aboard on Wednesday, December the 4th. We've got a lot to get to today on the podcast. First of all, we are going to be recapping the 2019 Virginia Tech football regular season. I've got some fun questions prepared for Chris and Will. We'll go all the way back to August and go through the entire football season. We'll talk about game of the year, play of the year, team MVP, all that and more coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast. Towards the end, we will talk a little bit of hokey hoops as Virginia Tech does host Duke on Friday, their second ACC game of the year. And of course, at the end of the show, we'll get to your questions on the Tech Sideline podcast. Again, our crew today, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes producing on the podcast set, managing editor Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. A reminder that this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with a moving violation for free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So I'm sitting here laughing. One of these days I'm going to start messing with you because I know that that, that, that camera over there starts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some sort of hand puppet and stick hey, it out you. there and start doing like that. <laughs> and I'm going to hold up Fisher Legal signs while you're talking. <laughs> I'm very happy. That's the first time I've gone the completely uh, memorized time. So well uh, I'm very happy about that. Good Gentlemen, uh, good morning. December the 4th. Uh, I always like to kind of give a weather update for people that are listening just because, you know, everyone wants to be in Blacksburg and good times here. It was snowing on Monday, like we said. It actually snowed like the entire yeah, I day. Yeah, like flurried all day long. It was kind of weird. But today, uh, it's it's sunny skies. It's kind of a nice day in Blacksburg. Today yeah, would be a good day to have a football game, well, wouldn't it? Nice tailgating yeah, conditions. until, again, I got a wind advisory on my phone this morning. I'm starting to hate that. It's, it's coming in, at noon. It's it's putting me in a bad mood when I get up. I'm getting <laughs> yesterday, uh, it's, it's like you wake up and it's, okay, it's nice like it is this morning. And then you look at your phone and it's like, oh, this afternoon is going to be absolutely horrible. Make sure you stay indoors. I, so. I would say ignorance is bliss, but you drive a Mustang. I mean, yeah. you need to know what's going to happen, what the weather conditions yeah. are going to be. But, yeah, 20 to 30 mile an hour winds with 40 mile an hour gusts starting this afternoon. Yeehaw. I, glad I, I'm glad I got a new roof. I have said it, and I'll say it again. Weather in the wintertime in Blacksburg is not that bad. It's the wind that makes yep. everything worse. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And where does that wind go in the middle of the summer? Nowhere. It's it's nowhere around when you need it. Yeah. Have you ever walked across the drill field in January or February Absolutely. with the wind gusts? Because that is. I will be honest with you. I did not have the best class attendance when I was a freshman at Virginia Tech. <laughs> so, uh, so I know we have a lot to cover, so I don't want to get too deep into this. But uh, people, 
my age, I'm 54, great, I went to Tech from 83 through 87, they will remember a weekend in January or February of 1985 where it got down to 15 below. And, and Degrees yes, and not windshield? Below. Okay. Not Did it windshield. snow or was it just cold? Uh... I remember snow being on the ground. I don't know that it actually snowed then, but it did get down to 15 below one weekend, and that's the temperature, not the wind chill. And the following Monday, I mean, they, they didn't do it back then like these pansies today, man. I mean, we had class the following Monday, and people were walking from, you know, the, the war memorial side of the drill field. Right. They would walk up to the edge of the drill field, turn around, and go backwards across the drill field because the wind was just coming in that direction, mm-hmm. and there was no way you could walk face into that by then it had quote unquote warmed up to minus five or zero <laughs> degrees tolerable oh gosh I will, I will never forget that i went out and started my buddies he had a this was 1985 and he had a 78 bonneville and uh i went out and st- actually that thing actually started but the noise it, it made some horrendous noise when i put it in gear i don't even know what it was for all i know the the transmission fluid had you know gotten kind of uh coagulated or whatever or i'm not going to say frozen but it definitely got thicker and man i cut that thing off immediately and just went back in the dorm i don't know what the heck i was trying to do well the good news is it's not negative 15 today again it's (laughs) low 40s upper 30s not too bad jacket on um hopefully we never have to experience that weather again i'm curious for those watching on facebook if you remember that drop a comment and uh, remember that because that does not sound uh favorable classes would be canceled for the record if it was negative 15 Not back then, dude. I'm uh, telling you, or man. Not, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, and dive right into it. As Will said, we, we've got a lot to get into today. We're going to kind of put a bow on the on the regular season for Virginia Tech football. I've got a bunch of questions prepared that, in a way, is going to take us through the season, through the ups and the downs, how we got to eight and four, uh, and everything in between. So, again, if you have a question, you're watching live on Facebook, be sure to drop it out. Malcolm will take them down. We'll get to them at the end of the show. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. And let me interrupt and say we were just talking about this before we started recording. Uh, we, we want to, at some point, do a show that's just taking questions. So, uh, you know, look for that in the future, and I'm looking forward to that. It's a, it's a little unscripted, which can get, you know, I don't know. We handle it okay here. Well, it's hard to make plans right now from a podcast sam- standpoint and a, a content, content standpoint, standpoint because we don't know when Virginia Tech is going to announce their new defense coordinator, right. whether it's going to be this week, next week, the next week. So it's really hard. Could to happen f- in the middle of the show. Sure. Y- y- just, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it could technically. No, I was so, just playing the theoretical. Yeah, so – you just don't know what to expect, which makes it hard to plan. But, yeah, we're going to do that at some point. Yeah. No, that'll be a, a, a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Hey, yeah. by the way, one thing I wanted to do, I always do this at the end, but I thought it would be uh, fun to kind of do it in the beginning just because we've got a lot of really good stuff up on the website right now, and mm-hmm. I failed to ask this on Monday. Chris, what's what's on TechSideline.com right now? What's some great content that our uh, viewers and listeners can go read right now? Uh, let's see. Will wrote his Monday, Monday thoughts, thoughts on, on a Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And let's see, what did we run? What did we run on Monday? Uh, you you had written something. What was it? I don't remember. I mean, honestly, I write so much I don't remember what I wrote. But Man, we're later gonna... today, we're going to have a Brandon Patterson review of the UVA game. All right. I've got an inside the numbers article about the streak and putting it in perspective. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, really cool article. Yeah. Did but, you write about Barry Odom? Intriguing possibility for uh, that's yeah, exactly that, that was, that was Monday's on content. Monday. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the inside the numbers article is going to be about. I found an Athlon article that listed the top 25 rivalries in the country, and I used a website called winsopedia.com, which lists the longest winning streak in, in each rivalry. Yeah. You, know, you, you can go through, uh, and it puts it into perspective how impressive Virginia Tech's 15-win 
15 game winning streak. And how unusual. Yeah. How unusual. Now, it now is. we're not talking Notre Dame Navy. That that's right. most we're of the time. We're talking about that's rivalries amazement. with two comparable teams. Yeah. Two programs that are relatively equal. Yeah. Um, Large state institutions, be that yeah. sort of thing. As far as money, you know, equal from Conference the money standpoint. Standing, right, that exactly. Kind of stuff. Um, uh, rivalries where both teams have a chance to win. Yeah. Or should have a chance right. to should, win. Right. <laughs> should have a chance to win. Unless so, Mike London's coaching. <laughs> exactly. So. So we're going to be uh, running that later today. Okay. And I think it's pretty interesting reading it. And it will put into perspective how impressive that 15-year run was and how unlikely it was. Yeah. Looking forward to reading that. Again, great stuff on TechSideline.com. Saying goodbye to the cup, dot, 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 for now uh, is on our main page right now. That's Will's article. We've got an article about Caleb Farley, first team All-ACC honors, Tech Talk Live notes from Jake Lyman, the Barry Odom article, and Parker Clements finds what he's looking for at Virginia Tech by Jason Stamm. He's like Sergio Render. He's coming to Virginia Tech because he likes to go fishing. Parker Clements? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Uh cool. He'll he'll fit right in. Those guys tend to stick like glue. Yeah. And subscribe to uh, TSL. $849 is the monthly price. $29.99 student price. Now's a great time around the holiday season to uh, become a TSL subscriber. Yeah, we've uh, – I wanted – so since since you you went there with the subscription promo, I want to say that, uh, you know, we really appreciate uh, everybody that that has subscribed. Uh, It's been a a good fall. Even when um, Virginia Tech was struggling on the football field, uh, you know, I, I think people were committed to subscribing and reading the content, and uh, just just that we really appreciate it. If you haven't tried it, give it a try. You know, I know that we're reaching a lot of different people with the podcast, and it's people that prefer to listen or people that prefer to watch. But uh, so even if subscribing and reading isn't your thing, um, give it a shot. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again: eight forty nine for a month. If you don't think it's worth it, email me at the end of the month, and I'll refund your money. And so the uh, podcast just scratches the surface of what we do from a content. Yeah, 100%. you know, podcasts are different, and we've talked about this before. The, the The content in a podcast is very dense, but there are things you can do with the written word that you can't do when you're talking. You can include things like tables and detailed stats, and yep. so it's 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 a different way of experiencing and learning. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to beat my chest too hard, but we've been killing it. You know, I, I feel like we're doing the best content now that we've ever done. And we've been around for 23 years. It's awesome. You know, and, and, I, and I really think uh, I really think we got it going on right now. So give us a shot. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's, all right, let's go ahead and dive right into it, though, because, again, we do have a lot to get to here on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm, recording on Wednesday morning, December the 4th. And we're going to put a bow on this Virginia Tech football season. I think rather than going like game by game like we talked about off the air, let, let's have some fun and kind of throw some questions out there, and I think that will kind of uh, tie things all together. So all right. uh, first question I have for both of you. One word to describe the 2019 Tech football regular season. One word and explain why that one word. Hmm. Mm, dead air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I, I'm trying to find one word to dis- to describe. Maybe the word is turnaround. That may not be exactly what I'm looking for. But, you know, we've, we've kind of worn this topic out. Uh, we've seen Virginia Tech start seasons off poorly. Typically, the pattern was 0-2. We talked about 2004 where it was 2-2, and and then they won something like uh, six or eight games in a row. Um, so there, there is a precedent for Virginia Tech starting a season relatively poorly and then having a, a long string of good games. But not, 
not like this year. Not like this year where it looked like they were dead in the water, where they didn't even show up at home against a Duke team that, that barely managed to scrape themselves up to 500 for the year. I think Duke wound up being 6-6. Six and six. And strangely enough, that's with wins at Virginia Tech and over Miami. You know, if, if you ever picked a typical Duke season and said they're going to beat Virginia Tech and Miami in the same season, you know, what do you think their record's going to be? You wouldn't say 6-6. Six and six. Are they, um, they are five and seven. Five, five and seven. They it's did even beat worse. Miami, but they, <laughs> they yeah. so they beat Miami to go to five and seven. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean that everybody remembers what they were thinking and feeling after that game. Just uh, what a what a disaster that was. Honoring the '99 team, you know, on the field, and and then getting smoked by Duke. Uh, so, somebody, we have so many good pictures of Michael Vick from that game, and we don't want to run any of them. Yeah, we just want to forget know. about that game. Uh, so I, I don't know that, uh, that that I can sum all that up with one word, but that's where my mind goes. Wow, I've never, I've, I have not seen anything like this. I would say bittersweet. Yeah, um, that's a good one. It's such a great memory before the UVA game, of course, of the turnaround the team had during the season, going from not just the Duke loss, but how poorly Tech played throughout the month of September, and then just completely turning around, and and their ability to stay mentally engaged um, despite their struggles, and and to turn from being a below average football team into a pretty darn good team by the end of the year. Um, That was the sweet part of it. And then the the bitter part of it, of course, is I I worry that a lot of people are going to always view this team through the lens of they're the ones that lost to UVA Mm -hmm. and forget about the good they did in the two months before that. So to me, bittersweet's the word. I think those are two good words. So we've got bittersweet. We've got turnaround. I think both those explanations were bittersweet turnaround. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Two words to describe the season. You know, if I would have told you guys before the season we did our opening podcast in August, this team would have gone eight and four. What would you have said coming off of the six-win season that occurred last year? So I thought going in that eight and four was the floor with this week's schedule. I, I thought. Eight and four is probably the worst this team is going to do. Um, I could see ten and two. I didn't really see eleven and one. Uh, and the ten and two I saw was losses to Notre Dame and Miami because those were both road games, you know. And Miami was bringing back what appeared to be a ferocious defense. Didn't turn out to be not in that game anyway. I mean, I know Miami. Forty-two points out. later. <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, I thought eight and four was the floor. And um, what what exactly was the question? Just if I had said that before the season, how would you have viewed this team knowing they, they, they went 8-4? and four? Would that have been something you were happy with before the season? And now seeing how everything has transpired, are you happy with 8-4? I would four? not have been happy with 8-4 and four going into the season. I wouldn't have been upset, but I wouldn't have been happy because my thinking would have been, man, not only are they going to lose Miami and uh, Notre Dame, but they're going to lose two other games, probably Pittsburgh, Virginia, you know, who else is there, really, that I can't, you know, go through the schedule? Right. I, I, or, or worse, Boston College. Or North you know, Carolina. Or, at, or North Carolina. These were teams I didn't want to lose to. Um, so that that's my thinking, if you'd said that before the season. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to remember. I think most people were saying anywhere between 8 and 4 and 10 and 2. Um, I think a lot of people said 9 and 3. They said, we're going to lose on the road to Miami, going to lose on the road to Notre Dame. And some other random And lose game. something else. And a lot of people thought it would be the pit game. 
Um, so, you know, I, I again, if you if you had said before the season it's going to be eight and four, I'd be like, I, I don't think I would have a reaction to it either way. Uh, um, agreed. Like neither yeah. like happy or disappointed. It's like, eh, okay, that's two games better than last year. But to me, it's like, to me, it's more about how did we. What was the journey like to get? What do you eight? look like? Right. What do you look like when you go eight and four? Right, and I and that's why I feel like for a lot of people, eight and four feels so different now, considering everything that transpired. Than maybe if we talked about it. In August. I know what we looked like when we went six and seven, and I don't want to look like that again. <laughs> well, let's see if I can remember the numbers right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, the the early part of the Fuente tenure, 2016, 2017, and the first two games of 2018, he had a certain record that was very good. You can add it up in your head. I won't 21 and 8? Something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and it, things look good. And then there was a 15-game stretch starting with that loss to ODU where they went 6-9. and nine. Only three of those wins were Power 5 teams. They were three wins over ACC teams. Three and eight in the ACC, I believe it was over a fifteen-game stretch. Uh, three and three and anyway, I don't want to get hung up on the exact numbers. It was it was fifteen bad games. And the how many games has it been since Duke? It has been eight games since then. They've gone six and two. Oh, by the way, that six and nine stretch included, I believe, five losses of twenty-plus points. Right. Just get, miserable, get miserable football. Um, and they've gone six and two since then, and the losses have been a one-point loss at Notre Dame, with the third-string quarterback playing and a very limited game plan. And then the other loss was to a Virginia team that that really played a really good game, particularly their quarterback. You know, but really the entire Virginia team didn't make a lot of big-time mistakes. You know, we Virginia Tech got Virginia's pretty much best effort that day. And I have rambled on and on. And well, I don't that's remember. What, no. it, so it, it's a different eight and four. It's it's an eight and four with, in my mind, an upward trajectory. Right. As opposed to an eight and four, we were sitting there at the end going, eh, well, that was kind of blah. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, like, uh, like in 1994, Tech finished the regular season eight and three, right? Yeah. But how good did you feel at the end Ooh, of the season? Not good. Right. <laughs> They got stomped at home by Virginia in the last right, and last then home got game. stomped in the Gator Bowl by Tennessee. Uh, I think they had another loss late that year before the Virginia game, which I don't recall. Yes, yeah. and, and one thing too, you know, going back to what you're saying, the upward trajectory, it really does not feel like the vibe from the team, the fans, from us on the podcast, that just because the streak ended and the loss to UVA, that this team is still on the rise. Is that fair to say? I think so, and and that's what I wrote in my article yesterday. Uh, you you have. Uh, I'm I'm surprised by not surprised. I'm probably I'm intrigued by the group reaction to the loss to UVA. The group reaction is is kind of is philosophical it's, the right word I'm looking uh, yeah, for. Yeah, that's a good word actually. I, I think uh, I, I I was really concerned that people would f- freak out. <laughs> I don't know what that means either. So, so Evan's yeah. got his computer going off here. <laughs> I apologize. That's never happened. <laughs> Siri is making her presence felt oh, on the podcast. What did you apologies. say, Chris, that triggered Siri? Uh, no idea. That's a good question. <laughs> That's never happened. Just don't say the word O-K-A-Y out loud because Android phones tend to go off when you do that. Uh, anyway, go ahead. About that. I don't know. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Talking about the l- I was reaction. worried how the fan base would react to uh, a loss to UVA. And I think they've handled it really well. Philosophical is a good word, I think, because uh, 
I've, I've learned that it's uh it's brought out some feelings that I didn't know were there. Like I had forgotten what it was like to lose to them, so now I know what it's like again. Yeah, and it made me realize that we know we all know what it's like to retain the cup every year, but I don't remember what it's like to win it. And I mean, I mean, win it back, take it for take it from them. That hasn't happened since I was 21 years old. I was a senior in college the last time Tech took the cup from UVA. So when Tech takes it back from them, whether it's next year or the year after or whenever, it's going to bring out a different feeling that you haven't experienced in a long, long time. Or in your case, never experienced. <laughs> since you were right. four years old. I was four. Right. right. And you were drinking from a sippy cup. I, I don't remember that. I have no I mean, idea again, what a Commonwealth Cup was. <laughs> My first memory of Tech football is Sean Glennon. That's where it's, that's the line <laughs> of demarcation for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, one, one thing I wanted to hit on, again, kind of, taking our minds back looking at things like we did in august before the season on the podcast one thing that was a common theme was this schedule is not as strong as others have been in years past in terms of ranked opponents and um in big home games when you look at it now from what this football team uh went through playing a north carolina team that was a two-point conversion away from beating clemson and a wake team that was ranked and pittsburgh that was nearly ranked uva that would finish nine and three what are your thoughts now on the schedule that yeah, Tech let, played let me, in 2019? Let me take that one first. Uh, um, first of all, Carolina was a lot better than anybody expected him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that that quarterback was Sam Howell. Sam Howell was he elevated that team. Um, oh, by the way, as a sidebar, they're recruiting like crazy too. They've they've got the top three three of the top four players in the state of North Carolina committed, and the fourth out of that top four is projected to go to him as well. Uh, Virginia Tech has nobody in the state of North Carolina and one top 25 player in the state of Virginia. Uh, that's not the question, though. The question is about the schedule. Uh, the uh, Duke, game, excuse me, the Wake Forest game wound up being bigger than anybody anticipated it mm-hmm. would be. They they were a pretty good team at that point in time before injuries. And only lost once coming to that game. Yeah, um, that that was so. Didn't that game sell out? Right. I'm pretty and, sure it did. That was, was Coach it was Foster's. Buds, it was Buds. Uh, memorial, memorial. yes yeah, so memorial. Memorial. Oh, no, the man's not dead <laughs> celebration celebration <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that wound up being a much higher profile game than anybody expected um and after getting whipped by pitt that that was a, an intriguing home game um i guess and, and uva uh carried the, their part of the load they were picked to win the coastal and and that's the way they played for most of the season i think david teal said this is the first time since 2010 that the media that has both picked both divisions correctly. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I, I don't want to go down that tangent because we're talking about other stuff. But, uh, you know, the one team that disappointed was Miami, as usual. Well, I won't say as usual. I will say uh, that's not a surprise. You right. know? So I think the schedule and, and my interest in the games, my own personal interest, wound up being higher than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, I think the home schedule, as it turned out, there were some memorable moments. I mean, before the season, you, a lot of people probably looked at the schedule and were like, oh, that's boring. Well, six overtimes against UNC is not boring. Uh, the Bud Foster Wake Forest celebration where Tech made so many big plays on both sides of the ball. Bud gets carried out the field. That wasn't boring. Shutting out Shutting Pitt, out Pitt is not boring. A year after giving up 52 and, it, it, and not even showing up defensively. I, yeah, I mean, that, that that's not boring. Obviously – when you cancel the East Carolina series so late. Remember the Rhode Island home game was supposed to be 
a road game at East Carolina. Yeah. So so instead, Tech got an extra home game, which turned out to be an FCS opponent. But when Tech and ECU canceled that series, it was too late to schedule anybody but an FCS opponent to replace East Carolina. Hands were tied. Hands were tied. So the fact that Rhode Island was added to the schedule sort of watered the home schedule down when you look at it from a whole perspective. And if Tech had played at East Carolina instead of home against Rhode Island, the home schedule doesn't look as bad. Just that extra home game makes it it look worse, right? Uh, Which is why I would have uh, waited to cancel the series until after the East Carolina game. That's just me. Um, I I think if Tech had kept East Carolina on the schedule, gone on the road, beaten them, which which they probably would have at that point in the season, and the end result is eight and four either way. Um, but I think people are happier with that eight and four because it would have been East Carolina instead of Rhode Island. Okay. But at the same time, they don't want to play East Carolina anymore. Mm-hmm. But when you cancel a, a series that late, you don't have any choice but to play Rhode Island, right? Which is why I, th- I thought we canceled it too early, personally. Uh, but at the same time, from a money standpoint, we sold tickets to the Rhode Island game. Not a lot. So that's money that Tech wouldn't have had. If they were traveling East Carolina. Carolina. I'll still say it. When Rhode Island came in, that receiver, Isaiah Colton, one of the best receivers Tech faced the entire year. That dude was legit. They were very good receivers. I remember when Fuente said beginning of the week, there's two guys who could play in the NFL at receiver. I was really intrigued. And then Colton had like 150 yards receiver. I mean, he was – He was good. Anyways, so. Um, Let me me ask you guys about this too. You know, kind of looking at it again, perspective, after the Duke game. You know, we had a really – Big podcast after that Duke game. We had 4,700 people listen on SoundCloud. Um, and it just kind of yeah. felt like that this team after the Duke game, I mean, nobody knew what to expect. Would they win a game in the ACC? Would the bowl streak continue? Actually, would, I think everybody knew exactly what to expect. I, I, <laughs> we all turned out to be wrong, but I think we were all expecting three and nine or four and eight. eight right. It exactly. was two and two at that point in time. And, and what we knew at that point with 100% fact was that we were going to beat Rhode Island. And that's pretty much it. And after that, everything was questionable. Yeah, Will, is, is there a turnaround in Virginia Tech football history that you could remember that was quite like this, where you thought there could be a losing record on the horizon, and then it blossoms into 8-4 and four, nearly winning a Coastal Championship? Uh, between seasons, yes, from 1992 to 1993. You know, Virginia Tech was much better in 1993. They went 8-3 and three after going 2-8-1 the previous year. Um, I don't think anybody expected the 93 Hokies to – go to a bowl game and end up end up nine and three here's an interesting uh i love tangents here's an interesting tangent uh you know uh uh indiana beat purdue the other day i think they play for uh, the, i think that's the one that plays for the old oak and bucket um something yeah and indiana i believe wound up with eight wins and a four and four record in the big ten and they put the graphic up on screen. I put this out on Twitter. They put the graphic up on screen that that's the first time since 1993 that Indiana has had, has won eight games and and had a non-losing record in the Big Ten. Something similar to that. Well, 1993 was the year that Tech played Indiana in the Weed Eater Bowl. That, 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 that's when the ball streak started. Was that actually the name of it? Real quick, I'm sorry. It was, called, weed- it was called the Poulin Weed Eater Bowl. Wow. Not Independence Poland, Bowl. Uh, Poulin Weed Eater Independence Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it may be pronounced Poland. Honestly, I, I can't. No it, it's spelled P-O-U-L-A-N, but they make they make you know a little yard power equipment and awesome. And that was at the very beginning of sponsorship of bowls. Right, we're, right. we're all just kind of rolling our eyes oh, like uh, the weed we, eater bowl. We're going there, to the weed the patch. Going to the weed whacker bowl. Yeah, what does it say exactly there? 
The there Poland you go. The uh, how do you pronounce it again? Poland. Well, Let's call it Poland. Poland weed eater independence poll. Right then, this is Clark Ruling, right? Who brought this over? Yeah, Clark gave that to yeah, us. A, um, yeah, so. Malcolm's got the chat. There we go. Really cool. Thanks for bringing that over, Clark. Yeah, but uh, I think we all pronounced it Poland, but I think it's actually and they they actually did a commercial where they joked about how to pronounce their name and they had. All kinds of country people going, Poland, you know. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we open the podcast with that yeah, next week. So <laughs> uh, that that's the biggest turnaround I can think of, like, between seasons. But in season, as we talked about earlier, no. Um, Dead in the water to to easily qualify uh, for a bowl and almost win in the division. You, you can't say 2010 because everybody knew Tech was better than they were playing at the beginning of the season. I mean, you know, they lost to JMU because they lost to Boise State. You said it, Boise State beat them twice. I think you've said that Boise before. Boise State right? beat them twice. Uh, I don't think anybody knew in 2004 that Tech would go on to be as good as they were after they started 2-2. Two and two. But we also didn't think that we were dead in the water either. Yeah, because they, the, they'd played a very good game against USC right, to open right. that season. Um, now, the only comparable – Scenario, I think, would would be, would be early in 1995 when Tech started out 0-2. And the reason I say that's comparable is because what happened at the end of the previous year, Tech lost, what, three of their last four mm-hmm. games. So at that point in time, um, that so was five losses and six Blown out by games. Tennessee in the bowl game. Absolutely annihilated by Peyton Manning. Um, turned the ball over six or seven times on senior day against UVA at home and got crushed. Uh I don't, I don't remember who they lost to before that, maybe Syracuse or somebody like that. Uh, but at any rate, going into the Miami game in the third week of the 1995 season, Virginia Tech had lost five of their last six games, I think, Man. dating back to the end of 1994. And, and let me and, before you go on, let me add a little nuance to that. They opened the 95 season by losing to Boston College at home, but that was Jim Druckenmiller's first game, and, and he, he looked like a legit quarterback. And then the following game at home against Cincinnati in the rain. Shut out. Tech lost 16 to nothing. It's the last time they've been shut out. And Druckenmiller threw like three interceptions, including one for a touchdown. It was an awful, awful performance. So there was no indication, maybe some hope against Boston College, right. but there was no indication after that Cincinnati game that he was going to be a good There was also no indication at that time that Frank Beamer was a good football coach. Um, because at that point, we'd gone to two bowl games in a row, but before that was all mediocrity. No. So, so you go in there at the start of 1995, and after those first two games, you've lost five out of six. And it's not like you, you're looking back over 20 years and seeing a whole bunch of bowl games. No, you look over the last, back over the last two years, saw two bowl games, and before that, I mean, Tech had gone 2-8-1 and eight and one just three years before yeah, that. Yeah. So you didn't know. Maybe you just had a pretty good group of players in 93 and 94, and mm. this 95 group, you were gonna, you're going to revert, revert to the mean, right? Yeah. Um, so at that point in time, when Tech beat Miami, they were, had lost five of their last six and only made two bowls in a row. That was a that was a huge deal. I, I think from a mental standpoint of the fan base, it might have been somewhat similar. They didn't know how good Tech was, because um, yes, the, there was no evidence to indicate that team would be good. At that so point. it's incorrect of me to say that that there's never been a turnaround like this. There has. He just described it. I I, th- I think in the 24, 25 years since then, I've just I've lost perspective on exactly where Virginia Tech was right. at that point in time, and how miserable that sixteen nothing loss to Cincinnati. I, I was, was actually at that game. I was twelve. Oh, I years was old. too. Yeah. I, I say all the time. My buddy Glenn Bywater looked at me and said, "When's the basketball season start?" <laughs> It was miserable. It was probably what thirty-five, forty thousand people there. Yeah, if there that. were that many. 
And then you're talking about those two bowl games, the two and eight and one season three years before, then 25 bowls later. Here we are. Yeah. Um, okay, let's dive into it now. Again, we're breaking down the 2019 Tech Football regular season Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Uh, we'll kind of go rapid fire. We spent a little bit of time on each one if you guys want to dive in. But I've got certain questions, some fun ones that are going to kind of break down the season for us here now that we've kind of done the big picture stuff. I feel like there's an obvious answer to this one. So if you go with the North Carolina game, I'm going to ask you to put it in perspective of uh, favorite games over the last five, ten years or so where it ranks. Game of the year is what? Uh, I'll let Chris do that one first. Um, game of the year? From this season. Again, all from the 2019 season. What was the game of the year? Hmm. I would say the Wake Forest. No, 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 excuse me, besides, besides North Carolina, of course. Right, that's Wake what I'm right. But, but uh, North Carolina would, would be the uh, the game of the year. Six overtimes, and you win the game with uh, with your backup quarterback. Uh, and the fact that it's North Carolina, border rival, I think without question that it would be North Carolina game with, uh, with Wake Forest being number two. Yeah, that, that North Carolina game is dulled for me because, remember, I was at a wedding in, uh, oh, in, in South, South Carolina. Carolina. I was in a condo by myself watching it in on a TV that it was it was standard definition. It, it, the television was high def, but the signal wasn't. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of took some of the oomph out of it for me. Uh, but, yeah, I think you have to call that the game of the year. Um and, and uh, I remember breaking down the ties and lead changes in that game. And Tech had had some dramatic games that came down to overtime and things like that, but never with the, the – with The, the back and I forth. Hate, I should not use the word never, but not to my recollection with the back and forth of that game. And, right. And just the drama of Quincy coming in. Maybe and, like the 2002 Syracuse game, but we lost that. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just the, the, the drama of Quincy coming in and doing what he did, you know. Um, or the 1998 Syracuse game, which was also very bad. Uh, how many games have lost. you won before where you have to play three different quarterbacks and all three of them throw a touchdown? Wow, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that, Don't that, forget that North Carolina game. The Ryan game. Willis came in and threw a dime in the back of the end zone to Hazleton on yep. that jump ball. Yep. Um, I think one of the most underrated parts of that North Carolina game was after the fourth overtime going into the fifth overtime when the official came on the mic everyone's you know, loud and crazy we're going to fifth overtime and you could you hear, hear a pin, pin drop because nobody knew what was going to happen with the new overtime rules in college football Texas yeah. the first team to have to go to that I didn't even know there were new overtime I didn't either rules until they day. started talking about it on television I right. thought what are you guys talking uh, about like that guy goes out there and starts talking and everybody shuts up and I'm like <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> well, don't, yeah, LSU went to seven overtimes last year, and they basically said, no, we're not doing, we're that, not anymore. doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. So even though they still was, almost did even it. Even though they went to six. I know. Just just keep making all the rule changes you want. Uh, all right, so that we'll, we'll call the game of the year. How about, how about this? I've got a couple of ideas here if you need some help. Play of the year. One play that stands out is the play of the year of the 2019 Tech football regular season. I have an unusual candidate right off the top of my head, and I'm not good at, at, at I'm not good at this sort of thing. But one of the things that comes to mind is uh, very early in the Miami game, Chamari Connor breaks up a pass and it goes up in the air and it gets intercepted. I was just thinking about that one. Too. You, you, you know, you you can make a case. You can argue that the season turned Turn on, on that play. Who picked that? Was it Waller? I don't remember. I think it was Waller. 
I know it wasn't Dax or Farley. Uh, yeah. it, it because was, that allowed Hooker the short field position on his first mm. drive, and then and Tech, Tech went up 7 nothing. 7 right? nothing the week after getting blown out by Duke. It, it just the, – the Tech bench got fired up. Um, whatever Fuente did in practice that week – and then to have an early catalyst for it like that, you know, you you can argue that the that the season turned on that play. Yeah, I actually agree with that, but I guess okay. I have to come up with something different. Just you know, it, but it, <laughs> it could be like uh, significant, like it could be just a, like I have one random one. I'll throw. I cannot forget Grimsley's catch in the end zone against Old Dominion, where he bobbled it about six times. And can't like you know. Right. Okay. If you're gonna go, with we a, could go any different route. Though, if if you're gonna here. go with a play that has no. Like overall bearing on the right. season, just any random play, then Diablo's a fumble return at Notre Dame. Yeah, that, that would be mine. I mean, yeah. I remember you're sitting up there, and I'm sitting in the corner, and he's not coming towards me, but he's coming towards my end of the field, and I couldn't. So the fumble happened all the way down here, and you couldn't tell who caused it. I couldn't tell at first that we had the ball until he clears his way out of there and gets to like the ten yard line, and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> he might score a touchdown. And it's one of those things. It's like. Come on, man, and it takes him forever, or at least in your head, it takes him forever to, to get there. Uh, but, you know, I would say that for sure because touchdowns are generally very quick, but that touchdown lasted, you know, about eight seconds, really. Cause well, longer it, it, take, it takes however long it 12 takes. 12 to 15 seconds to run 100 yards. Yeah, so uh, you, you never watch a play and say, we're about to score here, and then that feeling lasts for 10 or 15 seconds, right? And – but that did. That was just a different feeling. And just I was watching him run and knowing that he was going to score. I was in the concession line at Notre Dame Stadium when that happened. So <laughs> there, there's a trend developing here. <laughs> I need to not be present. <laughs> Another significant moment. This might be a little underrated. I was just kind of thinking, well, what other could be significant moments? How about when it's 24-17 against Old Dominion fourth quarter and the big kickoff return from Terrius Wheatley puts oh, yeah. Tech in business. That's important. Um just thinking about little little plays like that. Well, a couple more. Uh, Quincy's. Uh, how long was that touchdown run against North Carolina? Fifty-four yards. Yeah, yeah. Can't forget the fourth and seven. Right. The game so, on the line too in overtime. Forgot yeah. about that. And yeah. those two plays get packaged together. And the reason they're significant is well, clearly they help Tech win the game, but they're also significant because a lot of people will uh, judge. Isn't the word? A lot of people will uh, make their estimates of, of Quincy's potential based on those two plays. Right. I wasn't really surprised that he was that fast when he ran away from North Carolina's defense like that. Of course, the seas parted. You got Moses back there saying Carolina. <laughs> well, they didn't want to hit him. Well, they didn't want to hit him. But the, the open field speed, if you've seen his high school film, you know Quincy's got some speed. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't surprise me, but it surprised a lot of Tech fans. I think they just went, wow, look at that guy go. That's a 250-pound guy motoring down the field. Yeah. And then just the the spiral that he threw on that fourth and seven and the placement of the ball. You know, you have to package those two plays together. And for better or for worse, whatever happens with Quincy from here on out, because there's a lot of people in that quarterback room. There's uh, Hendon Hooker with his eight games of experience, seven games of experience. There's Braxton Burmeister that that has been talked up through back channels. There's Quincy. Um, you know, whatever happens with Quincy's career, those two plays will define him at least at this point. Don't give up on Quincy Patterson. Yeah, he's too, he's too talented to give up on. Um, 
And don't even let the thought creep into your head of him moving to tight end or defensive end or something and like please that. Please stop bringing him up at he's, running back. He's not stop Greg Boone. That. He's not Greg Boone. This guy's going to be a quarterback, whether it's Virginia Tech or somewhere else. Um, he's, he's a quarterback. He's, he's too smart. You know, it would be a waste to move him to another position. You, you would waste his long-term ceiling, in, in my opinion. Um, so he needs to stick it out with a staff that's good at developing quarterbacks, I think. All right. Uh, a couple more before we get to our questions here on Facebook Live. Do have to take a break, but a couple more. I thought this was an interesting one. How about this? Because you got to look at it from a position group standpoint. Assistant Coach of the Year on this Virginia Tech staff. Hmm. Assistant coach. Different of the ways year. you can slice and dice. Yeah, I, I, I'll go vice. Interesting. Um, I, I would go with Brian Mitchell. Yeah, that that's that's also a vice good coaches point. the you, offensive line. Yeah, Mitchell coaches. I, you know, corners. Uh, okay, so offensively vice, uh, defensively Mitchell. Um, vice, I, I think, when you have to start two freshmen side by side, uh, two true freshmen side by side at center and right guard, and your center had never played center before until August. I mean, that's really hard. Uh, but they were able to still put a competent, decent product on the field. Yeah. Uh, a lot of credit to that is actually due to Cornelson, who runs an, the ultimate smoke and mirrors offense that can really disguise weaknesses of an offensive line um, through various scheming and, and things like that. But uh, f- for the personnel that he had, as limited as it was, by the end of the year they were starting – two sophomores on the left side of the offensive line and three freshmen on the right side of the line. And you're not supposed to be able to win that way. You're not supposed to be able to win like that. Um, so for me, it's vice. Um, certainly you can make an argument for Mitchell and Will. Will well, vice, so. you can make a credit that uh, you can, you can make a case for his recruiting and evaluation mm-hmm. and his coaching in season. Mitchell, it's uh, to me, it's just a turnaround with uh, uh, Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller. And and Chapman, uh, yeah. Chapman's grades were good. I don't know how yeah. everybody feels about the UVA game. Uh, uh, he he's an improved player. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm not going to have a heart attack if Caleb Farley decides to go pro because I, because I think Tech can field two good corners. We also don't know where Jeremy Webb's going to be in terms of being able to play. So. Another thing, real quick, thing about the corners could have been a moment of the year. If uh, by the way, the ACC on this play did come out and say it was not roughing the passer afterwards. They did come out and confirm it. But Chapman coming in, first play after Waller ejected against Notre Dame, coming away with the interception. That, that could was have a been great a great play, and that was over that six six receiver too. Uh, yeah. Claypool, yeah. Chase Claypool. So, so think about Chapman is so far ahead of where Caleb Varley was at the same point of his career. Um, yeah. Not he doesn't have as high a ceiling as Farley because. Not many guys are six two who can run a four three, which yeah. is Farley, and which is why he'll be if he stays in college long enough, he'll be a, probably be a first round pick one day. Um, but yeah, Chapman had a good good year, so uh, for for his age. So yeah, Mitchell has done a great job. Mitchell's been here for four years now, and he got great cornerback play in three of those four years. The one year he didn't get good cornerback play, we didn't get good play anywhere else on defense either, and he had to start Farley who wasn't ready because he never played defense in high school. And his red shirt here was spent rehabbing a torn ACL. And then the other side is Bryce Watts. Transferred. And Bryce Watts is a better fit for UNC defensively than Virginia Tech. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know that Bryce Watts even played for UNC. Well, he had to sit out. Okay. Transfer. Transfer rules. But 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 I don't I don't know that he'll play very much. But uh, there, was a, there was a massive talent issue 
with regards to Watts and an experience issue with Farley in that year. And uh, But obviously, he had two guys that were ready this year. So, on the whole, I mean, I know everybody's going to remember 2018 and how bad Tech was defensively, but he did a great job developing Greg Stroman and Adonis Alexander and, and Faison. And he did a great job with the guys this year. Yeah. Okay, we've got three more before we step aside and we get to our questions on Facebook. We're going to go offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and then an overall team MVP. So you can make the offense and defense the same one if you want, or you can go um, – Yeah, well, well, offensively it's a no-brainer. It's Hendon Hooker. Um, defensively, that's interesting because I knew you were going to ask that today. And defensive MVP – to me, it comes down to either Farley Waller or Rayshard Ashby. You know, how, how do you how do you decide who the MVP is? Ashby was the most consistent guy. Uh, I don't know. Farley was pretty darn consistent. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 that's kind of a throwback to last year saying uh, Ashby was the most d- consistent when guy. When you say most valuable player, ask yourself which player you could least do without. Well, it's got to be uh, Farley then. I think because because if you if you lose Ashby, you can put Dax at Mike and and he'll do a good job, and you can put uh, Tisdale, Tisdale at Backer. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think Ashby had a great exceptional year, but when it comes down to it, Caleb Farley is the only first round talent on that defense, and probably the entire team. So you take him off the team, you know it hurts. Uh, it, uh, Chapman did better than people think he did against UVA, um, but. You still rather have your first round time. You, you can argue there. Tech lost that game because uh, um, Caleb Farley didn't play. Um, would the coverages have been well? Maybe that might might have been safety. We, we don't. We don't know. We don't know what yeah. would have happened. Um, um, but the thing I wonder is when those those couple of times that Bryce Perkins broke open and and had you know thirty, forty, fifty, sixty yard runs. Where would Caleb Farley have been, and could he could he have caught him? Yeah, because he has top notch. So I'm here. An so. offensive MVP is Hooker. Yeah. Defensive MVP is Farley. We'll go with Farley. Uh, that's who I would go. And with. then a, a team MVP. Hooker. Hooker, because when he started playing quarterback for Virginia Tech, and some of this could be just Fuente changing things around. So you got to give Fuente credit. But when Hooker became the starting quarterback for Virginia Tech. The entire team changed, not just the offense. Right. You know, um, um, then the the offense changed schematically too when he became the quarterback. So a lot of this is him, and a lot of this was coaching changes that they, they made during the middle of the season. Like at the end of the UVA game when Tech was down, that was the Ryan Willis offense again. There couldn't be any more misdirection. There there couldn't be a threat of a running game because Tech had to go down. They had to drive 85 yards and score. Yeah. And you saw what happened. <laughs> and when I say Cornelson runs a smoke and mirrors offense to protect an offensive line, that's not very good. You saw the, the, uh, the example of that last drive right there. See, that's what used to aggravate me about the, uh, about the bad Virginia Tech offenses of, of the 2000s was they would, they would put the blame on their offensive line. And I used to think to myself, you know, a good offensive coordinator can compensate to some extent to some for extent. a bad offensive right. line. You don't just line up in the I formation and try to run the ball Seven the middle. Seven-step drop. And, uh, with, yeah. I mean, know, that's and, then that, that, and, and I thought Cornelson, you know, did an excellent job of, of 
you, you try to, you try to play to your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. And I thought he minimized the weaknesses Absolutely. as yeah. well as he yeah, could. He really did. So we got, UVA was just a good enough defense that they weren't having any of it. Yeah. So team MVP Hendon Hooker. I do want to share this stat. Um, Friend of the show, or friend of mine, uh, Shelton Moss, listens to every uh, podcast, and he texted me a stat yesterday. He was like, you know, try to try and work this into the show, and it was a really interesting stat on Hooker. So, among all Tech quarterbacks since 1987, a minimum of 130 pass attempts. Hooker, third best completion percentage ever, best interception percentage, second best yards per attempt trailing only Michael Vick in 1999 and the second best adjusted yards per attempt also behind Vick. Well, Virginia Tech, whether this is a Justin Fuente thing or a Brad Cornelson thing, they get the absolute most out of their quarterbacks. So th- this is something you have to think about when you when you think about whether you want Virginia Tech to make a change at there, offensive There is a Josh Jackson comment coming. There's a Josh you. Jackson comment <laughs> coming. Josh Jackson pleaded 59% of his passes uh, – and had a 135 quarterback rating as a freshman, with 20 with, touchdowns and nine interceptions. Yeah, and we're right. we're throwing out even that. We're throwing it. We're just going with completion percentage and quarterback rating. Right. Um, and he did that with a true freshman tight end who had never played tight end, a true freshman slot receiver, no running game around him, all that stuff. Right. Then the next year, before he got hurt, he was completing 64 percent of his passes with a quarterback rating of 170. Okay. At Maryland this year, he completed 47% of his passes, and his passer rating, I don't remember what it was, but it was god-awful. Right. <laughs> jo- Josh Jackson is a very mediocre talent, Yep. and we got the absolute most out of him we possibly could. Uh, go back to when Fuente was at TCU, at the quarterback after Andy Dalton actually put up better numbers the next year than Andy Dalton did. And then Fuente leaves to take the Memphis job, a new offensive coordinator comes into TCU, and that quarterback is so bad that he gets benched. Yeah, and didn't he get changed positions or something? I, may, like that? I, don't, or, I don't remember. Or quit playing football or something. I, I don't like remember, that. but I know he was a four star recruit who was a great football under Fuente, and somebody else came in and he stunk. Yeah. So whether it's Fuente, whether now it's Cornelson or some combination of both. They're getting the absolute most out of their quarterbacks. They know how to design, and it reminds me of Ricky Bustle. Ricky Bustle knew how to design an offense around the strength of his quarterback. Maurice DeShazo was not very good. He had a mediocre arm. He wasn't big. Um, he was shiftier more than he was fast. Right. You know, people view him as a mobile quarterback, but he only rushed. He was a, he was a scrambling quarterback. Right. Right. Um, so Ricky Bussell had that 93 offense, the run and shoot, man. You, you, you shorten the field for him where you uh, didn't, have, didn't have to rely on such a, a big-time arm because he didn't have a good arm. Uh, you limited his reads. And remember he had the third-best quarterback rating in all of college football that year in 1993. Wow. that and, I did not know. Right, and then, and then Tranquil comes in the next year and run, tries to run a pro-style offense around him, and Chazo was terrible. <laughs> okay, so – and then it was very, Beamer was quick to bring Bustle back after that, obviously. So I think these guys are very good at designing an offense around the strengths and weaknesses of their quarterback, which I, I, I agree that in-game play calling at time can be better. In-game adjustments can come a little quicker. But I don't think there's very many staffs who could design an offense – around their quarterback's strengths and weaknesses as well as well as this one. So if you want to change offensive coordinators, 
you might improve in one part of the game, but I, I, I'd, we might take a step back in the other part. How much of the, how much of it is Fuente and how much of it is Cornelson? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Only, know. only Fuente knows that. Yeah. Well, great time uh, breaking down the 2019 Tech regular season, uh, part of the football season. Of course, they do have the bowl game. We'll talk about that next week on the podcast. Let's do this. Let's step aside for a timeout. Come back. I want to spend a couple of minutes on a big-time basketball game that's going to be played in Castle on Friday, and then we'll spend the majority of time on questions. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the official law firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. So glad everybody could be with us on uh, Wednesday morning, December the 4th. We just kind of put a bow on the Virginia Tech regular season in football. We'll spend a couple of minutes here uh, shifting the basketball before we spend the rest of the podcast with your questions on Facebook Live. Uh, guys, through all of this right now, we do have a, a big-time football game, uh, basketball game on Friday. Virginia Tech welcomes Duke. Uh, the Hokies are 6-2. and two. Uh, Duke just uh, played Michigan State last night. Well, last uh, I saw, they were up by 15. What was the well, final? They, they beat them by 12, I think, was the, was the final. At and, Michigan State. And I watched, I watched about the first half of that, I think. Um, I, I have trouble maintaining my focus when Virginia Tech's not actually playing. Sure. And, and I came away with two impressions. Uh, Number one, uh, Michigan State, for whatever reason, is just they're just really not a good basketball team. Not nearly as good as a preseason number one ranking or the number three ranking they had yeah. when they played Tech. Duke has a bunch of freshmen, and, and if a good team can't lose to a bunch of freshmen at home in early December because those freshmen shouldn't be a uh, – Oh, what's the word? Cohesive? Cohesive yeah. unit at this point. Well, Michigan yeah. State turns the ball over a mile a minute. That's that's one of their big problems. And, yep. they're, and they're, you know, so it's hard to judge exactly what you're seeing with Duke. I mean, they, they got some physical talent. They got some size. They, they rebound the ball very well offensively. They were number four in the country going into that game in offensive rebounding at almost 15 a game. And uh, they've got uh, – <laughs> My stupid brain is saying Marvin Bagley. Of course, not Marvin Bagley. Whoever they're Vernon they're, Carey Jr. This is, yeah, Vernon Carey Jr. This is the problem with covering Duke basketball. Yeah, gosh, these it changes days. every year. The, the, the roster changes over every morning, uh, every year. I would hate it if I was a fa- if I was a Duke fan. Yeah, it's, you it's, don't it's get to know of, any of your players anymore. But they've got uh, you know they've got they got Trey Young back and and they've got uh, uh, I can't remember the the. A guy's name that I recognized it last night. He had he had three dunks, and then I lost my concentration. Uh, um, they so they've got yes, they lost Zion. Zion's gone, but they you know they got some other guys back that you'll be familiar with, and then of course they got the usual good freshman. Expectations None. on Friday? None. No, I don't have any expectations for this season, good or bad. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think Tech's going to win. I don't think Tech's going to have a good year. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I know they beat Michigan State, but you saw the next two games when they played two teams that are more cohesive than than, than Michigan State right now. You saw what happened to them. Um, the fact of the matter is, they put a bunch of freshmen on the court with a six-five center, and that's that's you're going to run out of gas at some point doing that in basketball. And, and that's that's not, and I 
still like our long-term future. Mm-hmm. I like our individual players, but this team meshed together as a unit is not going to be very good, in, in my opinion, uh, after we play 30 or 32 games or however many it is. Uh, and I'm not saying that to, to depress anybody, and I'm not saying that because I'm anti-Mike Young. It's just that's what happens. Nah. It was picked next to last in the ACC for a reason. I, I think there will be nights where they go out and play well. Um, there's also going to be nights where they get absolutely drilled and nobody's going to want to talk about it. So here's what I want to look for on nights like that. Um, first of all, I think Duke's perimeter defense is pretty good, which uh, that's and, – and Trey Young, and according to Billis and Shulman, is one of the best defenders in the country. Uh Defense defenses that play well on the perimeter are going to be a problem for Tech, yeah. big problem. Yeah. You know, um, so and and I think Mike Young talked about this on Tech Talk Live. Um, one of the things he wants to work on is how they respond when they're down by eight or ten points. Um, they didn't respond well against Dayton and BYU. They get down and and they're young, so they they you can tell that they're thinking ah, it's, it's not likely we'll come back, and and they lose focus and it just gets worse. It snowballs. snowballs. Yeah. Um, so, one of the few things I will be looking for the rest of the year is just when it goes south, are you still competing or is it, does it start to snowball on you? Um, I, I mean, I agree with Chris. There will be some games where, you know, some teams will play tech and, and either the, their, their players will not be executing the scouting report, you know, and, and you can argue Michigan State didn't they do did. that, you know. There will be teams that will play Tech like Michigan State did. They won't play well. And if Tech's shooting well, they'll win some ball games. But, you uh, know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see Friday night um, uh, the whole P.J. Horn trying to take on Duke's entire inside <laughs> game. Uh, uh, now, yeah. Mike Young also said that OG, John Ogiaco is coming on quicker than he expected, and I agree with that. That doesn't mean he's going to be ready Friday night. Uh, um, that means I'm, he's going to be a good player as a junior. Yeah, he, I think he'll show. He'll you'll see potential this year. He'll show some flashes as a sophomore, and then as a junior, I think he'll be a guy you can depend upon. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. Okay. Um, and I want to. I want to remind everybody of a game in Buzz's first year at Virginia Tech. And I think well, we win ten games that year, maybe, and two games in the ACC. Yes. Um, bad basketball team. And I would listen – obviously, I'd cover all the home games, but I'd, I'd listen to a lot of his post games on the radio when they, when they played road games. The happiest I heard him all year, either in person or on the radio, was after a 16-point loss to NC State on the road because that was the best his team played all year. They played to their ability. They got the most out of their ability in a 16-point loss. Uh, when NC State got up, they didn't fold. They fought back, kept it respectable. And they just did the best they could that that night. Um, And that's the happiest I heard him all season Hmm. in a 16-point loss. So don't judge this this season on wins and losses because there are going to be growth moments during the season where Tech might go out and the scoreline doesn't look very good, but Mike Young's going to be happy because he saw growth in his team in certain areas and weren't necessarily there for before. Yep, I think that's a great way to put a bow on that conversation. Hokies and Blue Devils, I believe it's 7 o'clock tip inside Castle on Friday. We'll talk about it's it. It's on the ACC network, so don't turn on ESPN or ESPN2 looking for it. There you go. All right, without further ado, it's time to turn it over to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. Time for our Facebook Live questions towards the end of the show. Malcolm, what's happening? How's it going? So his face just appeared on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, as far as the weather thing that we talked about a long time ago, Angie Catlett said she was here for an ice storm in 94 that broke a third of the trees in the entire state. 94 was bad. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. <laughs> and Mark Parcell says he put a blanket over the engine of his car and tucked another one into the radiator to protect from wind. Wow. So, Blacksburg has weather. <laughs> Blacksburg <laughs> has weather. That's a line <laughs> of the There's podcast. one thing we've learned. <laughs> yes. So, it's, it's coming up a lot lately. Uh, Jake Carter specifically asked the question. We keep seeing articles about Fuente to Kansas. What's the buyout? Arkansas. Arkansas. Arkansas, sorry. Uh, what's the buyout on him? Is he going to – is that even worth talking can about? I, can I show you? Is, is, that, is that actually being reported right Let, now? Let's I, limit our rant. Um, well, go, you, go ahead, so Will. I'll, you I'll you can sum it up I'll take this one because uh, um, I did a little research yesterday. I didn't spend two hours poring over this. But it started with Dan Wolken of the USA Today saying, I believe his phrasing was, a name that keeps coming up is Justin Fuente, talking about the Arkansas vacancy. Okay. Then there is a, uh, an article I can't remember where that said uh, uh, something like, there's been a, s- a scattering of people saying Justin Fuente uh, or, or something like that. Uh, and then... 24-7 takes it and um, based on those two things says that he, you know in some way he's being linked to it and then WDBJ7 runs an article I assume it was also a short video in their, in their um, uh, news broadcast and the headline said something like reports colon Justin Fuente linked with Arkansas opening regurgitating what Wilkins said and regurgitating what 247 said. Not one person has said, I talked to people in the Arkansas Athletic Department and they're interested in, there hasn't been any concrete linking. There's just this echo chamber of people speculating. He'd right. be a good that, fit because it's next door to Oklahoma. Is uh, what people say yeah, that's saying. sound reasoning. Right. Um, um, uh, you know, I, I follow the Premier League a lot and coaching searches – actually reminds me of English sports media a lot. It's a whole lot of crap, to be honest with you. Um, So I I think in this case, I don't think there's anything to it. Uh, I think Arkansas is where coaches go to die. They just fired a coach after a year and a half. I mean, why why would would anybody want that job? It's it's in the SEC West where you can't win, and and they'll fire you after a year and a half if if you don't. I mean, that's silly. Uh, so, no, I don't think there's anything to it. Uh, and I know the national media didn't report this, but I'm reporting it to you, I think, for the second podcast in a row. And I've didn't done it in multiple TSL Pass articles. Arkansas went after Justin Fuente two years ago when they hired Chad Morris, and he wouldn't even interview. So, to me, I, just, I, don't th- I think there's absolutely nothing to it. You know, and, and a lot of, and, and Whit Babcock says this all the time, a lot of what goes on in these coaching searches is every time a position opens, another coach's agent will float his name to try to get him an increase at his current job. I'm not saying that Justin Fuente's agent has put his name out there for Arkansas just so Witt will get a little panicky and sign another extension for Fuente. I'll go hard to the hole here. If Justin Fuente goes to Arkansas, I will buy and wear a UVA shirt on the podcast. (laughs) I'll do it. Wow. Stop it. This is ridiculous. It's not happening. 
I think we need to cut that and put that on social media. <laughs> we really do. I think we actually need to put that on social media. Well, that, if Malcolm uh, didn't that, have to go to class after we do this podcast, he could do all kinds of yeah, stuff uh, like that for us. Yeah. Way to be responsible, Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. Good job. I apologize. Uh, Aaron Martin asks, is Brad Cornelson gone after the bowl game? You know, we kind of just talked about that, didn't yeah. we? About what we think about that. Um I don't think it's 100% for certain that he comes back, but I also don't think most coaches, and rightfully so, are comfortable turning over both coordinators in, in one off season. Um Generally, when you do that, it's it's like, I don't know, Muschamp will probably do it at South Carolina this year because he went 4-8, and eight, right? Right. Um, Herman's doing it at Texas, but they only won seven games, and and – if you win seven games at Texas with the resources of that school, then something's going wrong, right? Yeah. So I, I don't – I'm inclined to think that it won't happen because when you hire a coordinator, it's just like if you're the president of a company and you hire a vice president of whatever who's under you, you have to let that person bring in their own people, right, to a certain extent at yeah. least. So you're talking about if you change coordinators, both coordinators in, in one offseason, you could be changing over your just about your entire coaching staff. And and that's coming off an eight and four you season. You don't do that when you're eight what, and four. You don't you don't do that when you're eight and four and trending up. And everybody's coming back. Right. All the players are yeah. coming back and you're trending up. So I, I, I don't think the timing is right for that, in my opinion. Now I, I think if you'd asked that question after the Duke game, my answer would have been, oh, there's a pretty high probability uh, uh, yeah, um, that both sides of the ball are going to be cleaned out. I, I agree. Now, I do think there will be – I'm not saying there won't be any offensive coaching staff changes. I do think there's going to be one. Um, I, I don't – there's always been speculation around Burden, running back coach recently. And yeah. uh, if there's going to be a change uh, in the offseason, I think that would be it. I just don't think the Cornelson thing's going to happen. No. Yeah. That's my gut feel. Uh, I like this question from Charles Bowman. Where do you draw the line from sports journalism, educating subscribers, being first with a story, or just enjoying the ride as a fan of VT? Well, the good thing is we aren't trained sports journalists, only he is. How uh, how far into the podcast are we? We're about an hour right now. Ooh, okay. I'll try to keep it to two to five minutes. Um, we around here have never made – inside information and being first with the story part of our stock and trade we are we tend to be more analysis centric um you know uh conversational on our boards uh we 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 do get a fair amount of inside info but we just don't feel the need to to rush out there with it um because of my over the course of 20 plus years doing this i've found that for at least for the contacts we have I don't have any of the coaches on speed dial. If I did, I'd feel more secure about the information I get. The sources we have, I've found that they've just been wrong probably 30 to 40% of the time. You know, oh, oh I hear this, I hear that. And then or maybe they're not wrong when they say it, but the situation changes. But then it and changes, they turn out you know. I just, um, uh, I, I, guess, I guess the focus of our website goes back to my focus as a person. I've always enjoyed writing articles and doing I've never been a, an X's and O's guy, but I like doing analysis. Um, I've, I've never gotten off on being first with a story, which is really important to newspapers and an outlet like 24-7. It's just not important to me. Because once information is out there in the modern age, it's out there. And nobody really knows or cares who was first with it. Um, so 
we have always um, tried to uh, keep ourselves at arm's length from the program, and uh, I never refer to Virginia Tech as we. I, I don't say we. Chris, I, kinda, I, I do, and then I, I hear myself I do it, say it, and but you, I but you kick know, myself for But Chris it, but also says as about, about Tottenham, his favorite uh, football team, and used to say that about the Packers when, and, and the Braves. He yeah. says we when he talks yeah. about those teams, you know. It's so it's I not do. just a Virginia Tech thing. Um, I, I've always just liked the deeper dive and um, an analysis and, and I'm educating people. Um, so you can be the smartest fan at the tailgate when somebody, you know, criticizes play calling or, or says that a player is bad. I want you to be armed with the knowledge to either agree or refute that. Uh, I'm just rambling here. I, it, I, I, so let me sum it up by saying that we've, we've never sold subscriptions by saying, get the scoop on our boards first. That's just not what we do. That's, yeah. and, and I am a grown man with a family. I have many responsibilities. I already work hard enough. I am not going to fly to my computer every time a piece of news comes out or try to make sure I'm first with that piece of news. That's too exhausting. So that's a lot we of talking. We analyze the news more so than we report it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, that, so that's all kinds of talking, and I don't know, what, I don't know if Charles got the answer. I'll jump in really quick here and say the news about Bud, that came out about Bud Foster last week. Uh, with his heart trouble that yeah. he had at the end of last year, which is why he was coaching from the booth. So we knew that last year. Yeah, and we were, we we were told that Bud had an issue with his heart. Right. We didn't say it out of respect to Bud and out of respect to Virginia Tech recruiting, but but when we spent the off season saying, you know, we, we don't we don't know that Bud is is a hundred percent what he used to be, and that he needs they need to get his future straightened out and things like that. We're not saying that to be mean to Bud or anything like that. We're, we're saying that armed with that knowledge. Right. We say a, we, we know a lot of things that guide what we That guide say. our opinions. We yeah. don't necessarily say what it is that guides those opinions because sometimes in, in a situation like, like Bud, it's just not in anybody's best interest to put that out there. Yeah. And I'll say one thing that we're, you know, we're taught as, as students in sports media analytics is just because we go to a school – you know, we have the reporting hat on first. We have the the intent of a journalist or a sportscaster on first, and you know, I, I never try and say we or you know that's just kind of the way that well. Know, and, and I know so. that I know that Bill struggles at that when he's teaching his students. He sure does. Um, you know, and, it, and it's particularly difficult with with young sports journalists who grew up Virginia Tech fans and then come to Virginia Tech. Uh, it, it's very difficult for young people in particular to not cheerlead when they're covering a school. Some kids are good at it. You're good at it. Corey Van Dyke is good at it. Other uh, people in Bill's program, I know he has struggled with um, uh, getting them to, like I said, take arm's length and be more neutral about things. And then I find myself wondering, is that the future of sports journalism or do fans want to uh, uh, you know, we cater to the fan who wants us to talk about the good and the bad. Some fans don't want to hear the bad. They just want they just want the rah rah. Some don't want to hear the good either. They want they, <laughs> well, yeah, very very true. You know, and and so you know, a lot of fans just want the hype videos and the cheerleading and the likes and the go hokies. That's just not us. We'll take the likes in, uh, on the YouTube page, though, for yeah. those that are watching. Right, and, like uh, click, click that like button and click subscribe. We, we, we will take that. Uh, great question, Charles. Yeah. Uh, anything else over there, Malcolm? Uh, i got a whole podcast. I could talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
we've got time for one or two more. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Martin, what's your prediction for the next football season? Wow. Um, I don't even know what my prediction is for the defense yet because I don't even know what kind of scheme we're going to be. Yeah. We, there I go again. I don't even know what kind <laughs> of scheme Tech is going to be running. Um, if we're going to run a 4-2-5, it's going to be some kind of 3-4. I don't think it will be. Um, how are our free safety and rover going to line up? Is it, is it even going to be called a rover anymore? Right now, the free safety always lines up on the wide side of the field. The rover is always on the short side of the field. My best guess is that Tech's defense – Next year, the free safety might always be on the passing strength of the formation, whereas the strong safety, a.k.a. Rover, will always be on the runs, uh, the run strength side of the formation. I think Aaron was looking more for the 50,000-foot view. I agree, but, uh, which is really hard for <laughs> well, me. Well, we give analysis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, so it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, but when I, when I don't even know how to project our defense yet. But just on paper, if you throw all of that out, um, I, I think – whether Tech goes undefeated non-conferences is going to come down to whether they beat Penn State, right? of and course. And, and that game's at home. Um, I think we go into this season with a much better understanding of who we are offensively. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Yeah. So it's not going to take them a month to figure out the starting quarterback. It's not going to take Vance Vice until two weeks of the season to figure out who should be starting on the offensive line or even what positions they should be playing. Everybody should be dialed in offensively very early. Um, see, so Tech gets Miami at home. They get Virginia at home. What's the, what's the toughest ACC at road? Pittsburgh. Got pit on the road. Pit on um, the road. North, North Carolina on the road North with Carolina Sam Howell and everyone. That's going to be a big game. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, that'll be a tough game. Uh, I just don't know how good their defense is going to be. You know their offense is going to be good, but you just don't know. North Carolina never plays good defense no matter who's coaching them, except for that year when Butch Davis had a bunch of players that he recruited. Right? <laughs> um uh, Air quotes for those that are listening for from Chris those that are just listening. Uh, my general view is either nine and three or ten and two. Uh, the, the the problem here's the problem is that uh, not only is Virginia Tech going to be better next year, but a lot of the teams on their schedule That's are going correct. to be better. Georgia Tech will be better next year. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll be enough. But no, just say, enough but to the, be able to they'll, touch. They'll, they'll be better than this year. They yeah, yes. Um, and and Carolina, man, the way they're recruiting and that quarterback, they're they're going to be a handful. Uh, I think Virginia's going to drop drop back. Uh, I think they got a really good, really solid team, but you know they're losing a, a difference maker. Yeah, senior quarterback Kenny Pickett returns for Pittsburgh next year. Yeah, and, you know, uh-huh. I mean, Virginia Tech could be a better football team and wind up with the same record or something very similar because uh, everybody else has improved around them. You just don't know what to expect from Miami. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, Miami on paper, I guess they they should be better offensively next year. I'm not sure they should be better defensively, uh, but but they could end up with a with a better record if they if. They just have guys with better cohesiveness that, well, that are shooting towards a common goal instead of... Miami's a wheel of destiny thing. They, they, if you pick any three games, and either Miami's whipping Tech, it's a close game, or Tech's whipping Miami. Or and you just don't know what you're going to... I know, I know Miami's beating Virginia and then losing to Georgia Tech. Yeah, you know, so they're, they're a crapshoot. So what if Miami decides to have a good game against Tech next year? Yeah. And, and right. winds up you don't know if you're getting good, good, good Miami or bad Miami. Yeah, um, so... But I, I think... Nine and three or ten and two is the most likely scenario. Uh, I would I would say your over under is nine and three. All right. Uh, any thing to say about the next DC? Yeah. No. Um, 
Read Chris's article. Yeah, read my. I've got a, a TSL Pass article on Monday about Barry Odom. About Barry Odom, um, about how he goes back with Fuente. I mean, they, they were seniors in high school, I guess, the same year in Oklahoma. Odom won the state championship. Fuente was state player of the year. Yeah, they were like 140 uh, miles away from each other, and, yeah. we, and we haven't done the research to see if they actually played each other um, against each other. He he would make sense. He's run a he ran a three four at Memphis, but he ran a four three in Missouri. So I, I don't know. It could go a number of different ways, and I, I haven't I haven't heard. I don't think a decision has been made. I'll put it that way. I don't think I think um, there's a lot of moving parts. I think there. there's a lot of moving parts to it. I agree. Um, I mean, Texas hasn't hired Chris Ash yet, right? Yeah. You would have expected that to happen within a day. Um, so one, one of our better in, in sources of information on the message board said, uh, I've heard some names, some of them you've heard, and some of them you haven't heard. <laughs> so right. Not that that tells you anything, but uh, um, I, I will say that people that we talk to, that that's a pretty good lockdown on the information. They're, yeah, they're keeping yeah. Some close to They've the done best. an outstanding job locking down information on this defensive yeah. coordinator search. I'll close with this quickly. I do want to bring this up because I thought it was interesting, and uh, we've got, we, we can squeeze it in here to close out the podcast. Old Dominion has an opening. They did part ways with uh, Coach Bobby Wilder after a one and eleven season, mm-hmm. and a couple of names that have been floated in there as potential candidates is Zon Burden, who is the running mm-hmm. backs coach at Virginia Tech, and then Shane Beamer. Shane, Beamer. What Shane do you th- wants it. What, what do you think about those two names? I, in Old heard, Dominion. I've heard Shane wants it. Well, that would make sense. Uh, a, a lot of people you hear them say Shane needs to be a coordinator before he's a uh, head coach and i don't know that he's that type no no he's not yeah. a coordinator type uh he's he's too emotional on the sideline to be calm and call plays and things he, he like may be, that he may be more of a no. dabbo he's type. a dabbo pj fleck type right. they jump straight from wide receiver coach to head coach right. and they're the ceo slash cheerleader motivator on the sideline right that's more shane speed um so yeah i think a guy like him with as many East Coast connections and regional connections, would be able to put together a good staff at Old Dominion. Um, then you run into the problem of uh, Shane Beamer versus Virginia Tech every year. And again, I don't think that's good for our fan base at all. So nothing against Shane, but I hope he doesn't get that job. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be deleting some message board threads if that happens. Yes. Absolutely. By the way, I, I looked uh, yesterday, you know, uh, ODU redid their stadium going into this year. And uh, Virginia Tech doesn't play there again until 2022. But uh, they they literally tore down their old stadium and built a new one. Wow! Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't an enhance or a refurb. It was a tear down and a rebuild, and they did it in just nine months. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. So not not to mention about Shane Beamer, by the way, when he uh, before he went to Georgia, he did get two interviews with East Carolina before mm-hmm. they hired Scotty Montgomery and then Georgia and then Oklahoma. So no doubt that uh, he's probably close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's close. It's got to be the right fit. Um, I, I think I definitely think he could roll into ODU and say. I've got, I've got, I know so many staff members that would work well for a place like this because I recruited – I was on the Virginia Tech staff. I grew up in the Virginia Tech program. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, he could put together a staff just like that. So Stein he, Springs there right now, correct? Stein I Springs mean, already there, right? Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so yeah I, I, think, I think that could work. I, I think that would, that would make sense 
for for Old Dominion for sure. I, I don't think he's going to call up Jim Cavanaugh and ask Jim to to recruit the seven five seven. No, no, and I'm pretty sure Jim Cavanaugh wouldn't do it if he did. Ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a great way to put a bow on what has been just a, a jam packed show here, Tech Sideline Podcast on December the fourth. Again, recapping the Tech football season, a little bit of basketball, great questions, talking ODU, uh, all around great podcast. Mentioned at the beginning, a lot coming up on TechSideline.com this week. Don't miss the great content. Right, don't miss it. There yeah, we go. Like and subscribe. At like, and, like and subscribe on YouTube. All right, any closing thoughts before we come back on Monday? No, just uh, no, I have none. Okay. I have none. There wah, we wah, go. Wah. We got to get Malcolm <laughs> to class. Okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. Hope you can join us Monday morning. We'll be talking, I'm sure, about the Duke-Virginia Tech men's basketball game. We'll be talking about the uh, bowl selection as that comes out on Sunday. That's Where right. will the Hokies yeah. be playing? And potentially, who knows? We don't know the timetable. Hopefully not the Sun Bowl was one projection had us. I roll. Potentially. And, and we could be talking about a DC. That's what, so it could be a really jam packed show again. Swafford needs to get off his butt and do something about that Sun Bowl tie in. There's no <laughs> reason an ACC team should be tied into the Sun yeah, Bowl. Yeah, either get rid of it or send Boston College to send it. Send Boston year. College. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on social media at Tech Sideline, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For our producer behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, he's the best in the biz on the podcast set. Our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head on Joel Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes. Thanks so long. Thanks so much for watching. This has been the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by Fisher. Law firm.